We'll start off in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be there in just a minute if you want to go ahead and, and turn there. You know, I told Judy yesterday, I said, you know, I feel like that God is calling me to talk about this tomorrow. What do you think? She said, well, it seems like to me you've said enough about that. I said, well, it seems that way to me too. But that's what I've got to do. And then you think, I think about the people who hadn't been here and have heard as much of this stuff as some of the rest of you have. And you think about who God would target with this information. And so many times, some of those folks aren't here to hear it. And you wonder what's going on, you know. But at any rate, in order to be obedient, I'll do what he's told me to. And we'll see how it works out. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. And I guess the reason it was fixed on my mind was that this day, 124 years ago, in the last day of December, in 1899, the man who was credited with starting the Salvation Army was on a radio interview and they asked him, what do you think the church will look like in the new, in the new year, the new century of 1900? He said, well, they'll have to live without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit because nobody's talking about it. And looking back, you wonder why. The last thing Jesus said before he left the earth was about the Holy Spirit. The last conversation that he had with the disciples before he went to the cross was about the Holy Spirit. The last prayer he prayed to his God, to Father God, before he got involved with all this thing about the cross was on the Holy Spirit. And the best that I can tell is the reason people didn't want to talk about it was because some folks called the holiness had taken it, made it the central part of what they did for worship and had got a, kind of got a out of hand with some of it. Well, please understand that my Bible tells me that I am not to speak out and say that there is no such thing as the gift of tongues. They got involved with the gift of tongues, so much of it, with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see why. I mean, it was, it was obvious why they did. But we'll see that if you look at the fine print, that wasn't, God, that wasn't what God had in mind. Ever since I've been a teenager, I've had people coming to me and saying, you need to speak in tongues. And I said, well, I look at it this way. 
I wasn't looking to be a Sunday school teacher and God called me to do that. I had no plans of being a deacon. God called me to do that. I had no plans of being a preacher. And God called me to that. So if he wants me to speak in terms tongues, he can call me to that. I'm not going to take one step in that direction. But the interesting thing about all that, because with, with so many people, there's a question mark in their minds about this thing about God saving folks, putting the Holy Spirit inside of them, and then they speak in tongues. That was a sign to everybody around them that something was going on. But today, they don't handle it that way. They take turns in speaking in tongues. Now, there's one thing I do know. The Bible tells me not to speak against tongues, and I won't. But it also has so much information about how to deal with the gift of tongues in the Word. I mean, it's got it regulated down to every little uttered sound coming out of your mouth. And people today are not doing it like the Bible says they're supposed to do. And when somebody tells me I need, you need to speak in tongues, I can ask them one or two questions and immediately see that they're not doing it the way the Bible says they're supposed to do it. So I have no trouble whatsoever in the fact that I don't speak in tongues. I don't have a problem that God has never called me to speak in tongues. Because if I did it, I'd have to do it like he says you got to do it. So I understand at this point that God separated the speaking in tongues and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's done that way anymore. But still, I won't say that the Bible says you're not supposed to do it because I'm told not to. But now let me say this, back to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, now here's something, first chapter of Acts, verse 8, calls the Holy Spirit power. Anything God does in the, in the, under the heading of power, He does it through the Holy Spirit. Anything Jesus did in the way of miracles, any of those things, he was under the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. The Holy Spirit is power. In the Old Testament, when God would give an assignment to a prophet or to a person to do some kind of task for him, that required power. He always gave that person the Holy Spirit so that if he ran into something that he couldn't handle with his own power as a human, he would be able to use the power of the Holy Spirit and not have to worry about getting the job done. And as soon as the job was over, then God would call the Holy Spirit back. The only person, now understand, 
the Holy Spirit came to people first in a permanent basis at Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover, which was the holiday in which Jesus went to the cross and was killed. Fifty, fifty or fifty-two days later, was they celebrated Pentecost, and Peter preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved in one day. Kind of like one of those Billy Graham things at a football stadium. But the Holy Spirit was given permanently to each one of those persons who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before that day, that was the day the church was started. Jesus had kept his, I mean, uh, God had kept his idea of the church quiet. When you read of a mystery in the Bible, one of the, the definitions of mystery is God had planned a thing called church, which is what you are today. It's not the place you're sitting in, it is the place inside of you. So God had that plan, but he didn't let on about it until Jesus came to this earth and Jesus was the first one who spoke about the church. Now John the Baptist, his forerunner, his first cousin, spoke about the coming, something coming, but he didn't call it the church as I know of. But when Jesus came, he started speaking about the church and we'll see this morning in a couple of scriptures what he was talking about here. But at Pentecost, 52 days after Jesus died, Peter preached at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. And for the first time, except for John the Baptist, who came before the church, and was the only person I know of that the Bible ever said that was permanently indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The angel Gabriel came to his mother before the acknowledgement that Mary was pregnant with Jesus and told John the Baptist's mother, You'll name him John when your son comes. You'll name him John and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. That's the only person it was that I know of before the church was established at Pentecost. Now, there were people who had the Holy Spirit and used the Holy Spirit, but it was never in them permanent. In you and I, it's permanent. It'll be there forever because Jesus promised that it would. The Holy Spirit is a part of God himself. Now understand, you've heard ever since you've been affiliated with the church, the term the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all one person. And that gives some people a problem. Well, think of it this way. They called God, Jehovah God, the triune God, or the three-part God. 
He was God the Father, He was God the Son, and He was God the Holy Spirit. But I'm a man, because I was born a male, there are certain responsibilities as a man that I'm supposed to take care of. As I got married, then I became a husband. And I had responsibilities as a husband that I didn't have as a man. And then as I got children, I became a father. So I'm a man, I'm a husband, and I'm a father. I've got three responsibilities. That ought not to confuse anybody. The three parts of God each have different responsibilities. God the Father has got His, Jesus, His Son, the only Son, it said, the first begotten Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And they each do separate things and have completely separate responsibilities to do. This term, Holy Ghost, is another word. The old archaic word for spirit was ghost because it was something that was there that had movement and did things, accomplished things, but you couldn't see it. So when you see the word Holy Ghost, it don't mean anything other than Holy Spirit. That's all. Both of them are identical. Now here's something that I think is important. Some of you may not. The triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the Bible, God refers to them as He's. H-E. They're masculine pronoun. Now there's a lot being said about pronouns now by a bunch of people that wouldn't know God if He was sitting in the pew next to them. And the big deal is what you call, what kind of pronoun you use for somebody. Well, it's been said that the medical community nowadays can tell you something that's wrong with you down to the most infinite iota, but they can't tell a little boy from a little girl. You're not what you call yourself. You are what God called you. And if you were born a he, you're still a he. And if you were born a she, you are still a she. And there's no other choices, not without being a sinner. So God the Father is a he. God the Son is a he. And God the Holy Spirit is a he. There are a bunch of people today who are trying to make a machine. Don't listen to that. In my mind, it's the greatest of blasphemies. If God calls something a he, it's a he. And you better believe it. Because when you try to make it a she, then you've blasphemed, as far as I'm concerned, against the word of God. It makes it easier for me to deal with these three things knowing which pronoun to use for them and knowing who they are.
If somebody came to me trying to make a she out of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't trust them about anything they said. And I'd recommend you do the same thing. Now, there is something that I realized in my personal life. I don't know, it's been a long time. God is a he. But him being a he, he understands how other he's think. God knows me down to my inner core, to the last atom in my body. God understands me, and I know that. But I learned something else. God understands a woman down to her inner core, just like he does me. When I talk to my God, I know that my God understands everything about who I am. But I am also confident that when a woman talks to her God, that she is also aware that God understands every single thing about her. God has that capability. Men don't. There's no reason in the world why I would say that I would be able to understand my wife as much as I even ought to be. But God does. And don't miss that. God restricts the ministries in His Word to different people. And He's got restrictions on His Word to the ladies. There are certain things they can do, certain things they cannot do. You've heard it said that a woman will not be called to preach. Now let me tell you, I'm picturing you, don't throw rocks if you got them. I believe a woman can be called to preach. There's no place in Scripture that it indicates that a woman can't. The thing that it's talking about when it says that a, a, an elder has got to be a man or a husband, it's talking about a pastor. If there was such a thing as a church that only had women and children in it, a woman could be the preacher of that church. I believe that. I believe God has made account for that. But it says in my scripture that a woman is not to assert authority over a man or to teach a man. I have known a woman, one woman, who I believe was called to preach. She was the best with the word I've probably ever seen. If a male walked into her class while she was teaching, she had stopped teaching until he removed himself from her hearing and then she'd start back teaching the Bible. Now that is what God expects. He limits some of his people to some things. And a woman can't run a church simply because she can't exert authority over the men in that church, nor can she supposed to teach the men in that church. Why God did that? He says it because that man was first one to be created 
He had to give a, a, a marriage, a man and a woman, a man and a wife, is a committee of two. When you have a committee of two, there are times when they disagree, and so you've got a constant, long-term argument. And a man was given the authority between the two that if it can't be settled any other way, then what he says will have to be. God says it was because he was first created and she was the first to sin. And that's the two reasons why he made it that way. So it's not about a woman being in the second place. It's about being a military term. It's about being in your place or out of your place. And everybody has got a place like that. When you're supposed to be where you are and when you're supposed to be where you're not. If a man speaks up and says in, in a place where he's not supposed to speak, he's out of place himself. And that's what God is trying to get across to us. We today, as believers, have the Holy Spirit living in us, and it's there permanently. It's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it will be there with us unto eternity. Not just to heaven, it'll be there in us until eternity. Now there's two things that confuse me, so maybe it'll confuse you, about the indwelling Holy Spirit, about possessing that Spirit, about it living in you, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's two different processes. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. What is that? God made known to us through Jesus Christ that he had a plan, and that plan was called a church. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. In other words, he decided himself, this is the way it's supposed to be. And he had a plan that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, that's the church, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. God had a plan, and that plan included getting the people on this earth who were believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, hooked up with heaven in such a way that we might know all about heaven and that the benefits of heaven, like the guardian angels and all those other things, could be utilized in us. We would know enough about it to be able to utilize the things that we've got available to us. 
I was told one time that the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. And I believe that. I believe there are so many believers walking around that know so little about the Bible, they don't even know that they have advantages there that they can call on God for, and He guarantees them to be there, and they don't even know they got access to those things because they don't understand the Bible. And the people who are responsible for telling them these things are not telling them. Verse 11. In whom, God, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So you see what that's saying. God does everything according to the plan he's got. And he got the plan he got by not asking anybody their advice except for himself. (laughs) He came up with an idea and it's his. That we should be to the praise of his glory that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Paul's talking about himself. The first people who trusted in Christ was the apostles. In whom ye also trusted. So he's talking about us now. The people who weren't there with Christ but heard it from somebody else. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now let's take that apart. After we became believers, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now what is the Holy Spirit of promise? Jesus, in the 17th chapter of John, in praying back to his Father God, promised us that he would not leave us alone, that when he left to go back to heaven, to sit in that throne on the right hand of God, he would leave us with the Holy Spirit, a comforter like him, to do the job that he had been doing until he left. So that's the reason they call it the Holy Spirit of promise, because Jesus promised that it would be here. So we were sealed with that spirit of promise. That word sealed is big. The seal is a brand. It's a mark. It's on every product that we buy. There is a logo that we recognize of what's inside of it. And if we bought it before and consumed it before, we know how good it tastes. If it's baking powder, we know how good it works. If it's a cleanser, we've got favorites because some of them clean stuff that others don't clean. 
And it's all because of that seal that's on it, that logo. This was used in the termination of branding cattle. Of course, you got to understand in that day, slaves were branded also to declare ownership. And so God is using both of those terms because he wanted the people who were listening to be familiar with what he's talking about. He said, when you become mine, I put my mark on you. And everybody might not see that mark, but folks, you've got to believe that when you get around another believer, you don't have to be around them too long before you know they got the Holy Spirit in them. They're a Christian. And that's what he's talking about here. He put his mark on us. And it declares that he owns us. which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now see what that says is this. God promised us salvation. He promised us to be saved. He promised us heaven. But I haven't seen heaven yet. But the Holy Spirit that I know dwells inside of me is the earnest. You know what earnest money is. If you've ever done any business, you know that if you make a transaction with somebody, you put down a little money at the start of the deal before it's time to pay for the whole thing so that you will guarantee the person that's making that deal with you that you're going to complete the business transaction. So you put down earnest money. Well, God, using business terminology here, says, I have put the Holy Spirit in you so that you will know that when it comes time, you'll be in heaven. It's not there yet for some of us. But God says, I promise that if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to inherit heaven. It's yours. It's part of the will. You're written into Jesus' will. And you will get heaven when it's time for you to get heaven, even though you haven't got it yet. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, until you get heaven, and you got it guaranteed, and you're standing there on the golden streets looking at heaven, and you recognize it, and you know what it is, this is a guarantee that you're going to get it. The only thing I have to say about that is you ought to talk to other people who don't know about it in such a way that you're confident that's where you're going. Well, are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Uh-uh. Ah, oh, ah! Oh. That don't give a person enough of, uh, of, of, of expectation. Are you going to heaven? You bet I am. How do you know that? Because I got the Holy Spirit in me. How do you know that? Because I know something's living in there and it ain't part of me. So that's my guarantee. 
So I can look at anybody, no matter who it is, and tell them I'm on my way to heaven. When I die, that's where I'll be. And I can do it with confidence. I'm not about to tell somebody I hope so. Because if I do, that's calling my God a liar. And God's not a liar. Now that right there in Ephesians was talking about the indwelling, the reception of the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of what's to come for us. Now if you look at Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, God is talking about what earthly fathers give you. He's using it as an example. If a son asked his daddy for a piece of bread, would he give him a scorpion? Or would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for some meat, would he give him a scorpion or a snake? No. Your earthly daddy takes care of you. And it's unnatural for an earthly daddy not to. And he says in, in chapter 11 and verse 13, If ye then, being evil, know how to good gifts, good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? That was confusing to me for a while. Number one, I know that we automatically receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's placed inside of us permanently, forever. It's there. So what's this business about asking for the Spirit? It couldn't be anything other than the filling of the Spirit. There is a difference between having the Holy Spirit inside of you and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you know this already, maybe you don't. But this is what he said. You hear me sometimes when I pray, I say, Lord, forgive me for my son's sins and, forgive, and fill me, please, with the Holy Spirit. He says that is a prayer that he never fails to answer. He always gives us the filling of the Spirit when we ask for it. So there's two things about the Spirit. Are you satisfied with how much Spirit you've got? You know, when I've been told when people walk into this place, they feel the Spirit here. That's the filling. You can walk around without feeling the Holy Spirit all day long until something comes up to cause you to need it, and it, you'll know it's there. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is like John the Baptist was. I mean, he had to preach. If he had two people, if he had 2,000 people, if he had a bunch of Pharisees or he had some good folks, John the Baptist preached. Why? Because he's full of the Spirit. All he talked about was Jesus. There wasn't anything for himself. He didn't try to be anything. All he, all he wanted to say was how great Jesus was. That's being filled with the Spirit. 
my understanding is, according to Corinthians, nobody without the Holy Spirit at all can understand one word of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is given to you to make you understand the words of Scripture. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you understand it all. I pray every time I sit down. If I get up from my desk and walk to the kitchen and eat my lunch and come back and sit down, I pray again, Lord, fill me with your Spirit and forgive me so that I'm in shape to hear what you've got to say to me and I will understand it when you tell me. I do that every time. I do not want to get caught by standing in front of you and saying something that God doesn't want me to say. To the extent that when I was teaching Sunday school and I didn't know any better, several times I made bad statements and God would stop me in the middle of a sentence and I'd go to stuttering and, and I'd say, folks, I'm going to have to stop and ask forgiveness from God for telling you something and I don't even know what I told you that wasn't so, but I told you something that God didn't want me to tell you. But I do that now ahead of time so I won't have anything planned to say to anybody that's not what God wants me to say. I don't want to put my, my opinion or my biases or my leans or anything else into what's being said. So to believe the gospel is to automatically have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But if you want the filling of the Spirit, you have to ask. There are times when he gives it to you without you asking. And you know how it feels when you've got a special thing of the Holy Spirit. So we come down to this. There's only one Holy Spirit. This is the thing I want to impress you with. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one God. There's one Jesus. There is one Holy Spirit. That's all. Now the thing about God is they say about Him that He can be anywhere. No, that's not true. God cannot be anywhere He wants to be. He is every place, all the time, every time. He can't just be here when He wants to. He's here whether He wants to be or not. He's everywhere. Jesus, when He took on our body, he limited himself to be in one place at a time. A person with flesh and blood can only be one place at one time. Now Jesus, when he got his glorified body there at the tomb, you know, he told Martha, don't touch me, I don't have my glorified body yet. Well, when he went to heaven and had his body glorified, then Jesus can live on earth or in heaven anytime he wants to, just like an angel can but he still can only be one place at one time. God and the Holy Spirit are spirits. They don't have bodies. They can be everywhere all the time. That's the reason I think that Jesus told us that when you have the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to do greater things than me. Because his, he, he said, I can only be one place at a time. And the Holy Spirit can be talking to millions of people at the same time, at the same time. So please understand those things. 
I can think sometimes that Jesus is speaking to me through the Holy Spirit and I am the only person that Jesus has his attention placed on at that time that it's such a personal conversation. And I have to realize that there may be 100,000 people over the earth that Jesus is talking to just like he's talking to me and they feel the same attention that I'm feeling. He can do that. But because of that, you and I have the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, we've got in us. The same Holy Spirit that can raise people from the dead is in us. The thing I had to learn was, yes, I've got the Holy Spirit, and yes, the Bible tells me that I can speak to a mountain and it'll slide off into the ocean. The only thing I didn't realize was God's got to want that mountain in the ocean before it's going to happen. I can't use it any way I want to. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is the most powerful thing in the whole universe, period. Giving me the most powerful thing in the, Holy, in, in, in the universe to do what I wanted to with it would be like handing a five-year-old boy a submachine gun. I would have damaged everything around me because not knowing how to use the power that I had. So what I'm telling you is this. When he says in chapter 21 of Matthew that my plan is that you can, they were talking about the fig tree. He walked by the fig tree and he says there's no fruit on it. And he told the fig tree, you're not going to ever have any more fruit from right now. And the disciples came by a minute and looked over to the fig tree a minute later and he's dead. And they were astonished at how quickly it happened when God told that fig tree to die. It died just like that. And he said, look, y'all don't understand. With the Holy Spirit, you can do what I did to that fig tree. And not only that, you can speak to a mountain, it'll slide off in the ocean. And let me say something, folks. Mark me down on your crazy list if you want to. I believe I can speak to a mountain, it'll slide off in the ocean. I believe I can do that. But God has never wanted a mountain that I was close to in the ocean because he's never told me to do it. But I'm going to tell you this. Whatever he tells me to do, I have every confidence in the world I can do it. The same miracles that Jesus did every day on the street, you and I can do. He says only a matter of faith. How much faith have you got? Because you see, when you speak that something is going to happen, the only way your faith can cause that thing to happen is that you know when you speak that word that what you're speaking is going to happen. You've got to believe it. You can't guess it. You've got to believe it. There are people who have spoken words that have caused things to happen because they believed it would happen if they said it. You say, well, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. How many of you have been around little kids? 
you tell a little kid that's up on the stairs to jump off and you'll catch him, you better be ready to catch him. He'll bail off on you. You tell a 40-year-old, jump off the steps and I'll catch you. You don't have to worry about it. You can turn around and walk off. He ain't jumping off the steps. It's about faith, people, and how much faith you have and what you believe you can do. But I'm going to tell you this. God has given you the equipment to do anything he would ask you to do. Anything. Never hesitate and keep God's will from being done because you're like a faith. Don't do that. If he called you to do it, you can do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, not only your word, but the confidence you give us from knowing what you said and what you'll do. We thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Not just the obvious stuff, but the stuff that's not so obvious. To know that we've got the power to do whatever you call us to do, whatever it is. Don't let our heart condemn us, as the Scripture says. Let us know that if you ask for it, it can be done. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.